Hi, this is Repatterning. I'm Kata. And I'm Tom. In today's interview, we'll be talking with Shelley Atkin. Shelley is a transdisciplinary artist, educator and gardener based in Berlin. Her work centers relations between bodies and lands, engaging in process-based ecological thinking, making and healing. Shelley moves between dance, performance, curation, pedagogy and community organizing. And she weaves practices of plant medicine, hands-on body work and place-based knowledges. In this interview, we'll be talking about landing and healing, digging and dreaming, being in dialogue and ways to think about gardens. So, hi Shelley, welcome. <laughs> hi. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to jump right in. Yeah. Tell us about landing. Mm-hmm. Landing, in a way, is kind of a framework or a grounds on which I've been busy with and thinking on and making around. Um, for the last bunch of years and in a way as a sort of philosophical grounds or I don't know as a kind of foundation it's uh, it helps me to shift and keep thinking in that shift from land as a kind of entity or as a noun or as a fixed place and a bordered place and a limited place that I can point to outside of myself or identify in that territorial way into landing as a process, as a verb. Um, and that shift helps to understand landing as a continual yeah, continual unfolding all the time that it sort of, it came as this question that if I shift and practice and invite others to practice that shift, maybe there would be a potential to undo some of the um, imprints that I have around territorial thinking in general. Um, and it also sort of relocates where that process of landing could take place. And so landing could be something that we're doing in the land and on the land and with the land all the time. It could also be something that the land itself is doing, that the land is landing all the time. So it sort of brings more dimensions into um, who even is included in landing. Hmm. Yeah, I remember when you first <clears throat> talked when the two of us first talked about this idea and I totally misunderstood it for a moment and I thought landing, like like a plane landing or something and mm. then realized the framing that you were putting on this and kind of the idea that you could start with uh, with how we think of land and then regard it as a process mm. was, I got to say, a little bit sort of revelatory for me. Mm. Um and I suppose it was also kind of connected to these 
uh, well, it, I first heard about it in the context of these workshops that you had been giving out in Ponderosa, in the countryside outside Berlin. Mm. Um, and yeah, that this was how I first kind of saw you try to give a sense of this idea in a practical way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if, um, I suppose we could say, or I don't know if you can put it this way, that landing is sort of your framework of artistic practice, but then it also took a few different shapes. And I guess some of them are more practical and some of them are more abstract. Mm -hmm. And if you would say, tell about a few examples, how it took shape, mm -hmm. this idea or this practice. Yeah. 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 I mean, actually, now that we're speaking about those earlier beginnings of finding the articulation, I should also um, acknowledge and thank uh, another artist who helped at one point in the, yeah, at one point to um, find that framing, um, who's uh, Valentina Desideri, and she's somebody who is also very interesting to listen to and speak with. And she activates a lot of happenings at PAF, Performance Art, Performing Arts Forum in France, outside Paris. And she was doing, we were doing an exchange that at the time was part of my master's studies, um, a kind of short-term mentorship. And she was applying these, now I just credit her a little bit and then weave out from there. She she does these things together with another collaborator, Denise Ferreira da Silva, um, called Poethical Readings. And they're kind of, they're, yeah, they have a whole other articulations that I was also writing with around, um, in terms of what's sometimes called like divination practices or different reading, like expanding the notion of reading. Um, that instead of putting the individual as a subject at the center of that, and it's all about what's happening in you and your life, they put a, a question, like an ethical concern at the center, and then try and sort of map around that different relations and connections and trajectories that intersect with that question that you're carrying. And so I was carrying this question about land, mm. and um, it was through doing some of that work in exchange that there happened somehow the first articulation of this shift towards landing started happening. Um, so I always connect it first to um, that attempt to open up a concern that feels so personal sometimes and so existential also, sometimes even so practical, like how do I live well where I am? How do we live well on land? Including in the city, I don't mean land in the sense of countryside or not, like how how are we where we are and how are, how do we do that well um and so that already being with that question and dialogue with her brought this this understanding that it's actually constantly asking that it's like constantly asking that question over and over again um and then yeah and then simultaneously or before that before i even had that um exchange I had spent time in this place, Ponderosa, and I had 
been working there as the gardener and very ambitious about growing edible plants or growing food and nourishing ourselves and a really like digging in we can do this um actual digging <laughs> literally digging <laughs> yeah and at the same time so then it's a it's a dance it has its roots in dance and art and performance that place as you know and um what i was doing every day was being in the garden and tracking all of these different things that are happening simultaneously in the garden including the human activity that needed to happen and the salad that needed to end up on the table at a certain hour but also all of these other timelines and time scales and processes that were going on and um when i look back now i think uh actually that was a day to day and often in the night as well uh <laughs> lifestyle of constantly landing again reorienting to what's going on and all the many things that are going on at the same time and being called here and there and that certain things were taking place in my attention and perception and sensation also in my own body and awareness that had to do with like a real on the ground sometimes very banal way of living and and working and then that creative processes were being and totally informed and infused by that so then later uh in in attempting to find a format to encounter people in a limited time in a changing location situation that some call performance but I don't know what I think about that <laughs> uh, <laughs> in which in during that process I met uh, Valentina um I was actually just looking for how can I offer a way in to what I experience over a longer time and a longer relationship, a literally a long-term relationship with that particular garden and that place where that how that garden also exists within the bigger container of the place and that mm. project and that community. How can I offer a little um window into something like that for individual for people and it actually turned into these private landing sessions what you've experienced for one person at a time just because originally it was to create a kind of protected sphere where that their particular relationship to land could be at the center mm. so figuring that actually the garden was like a temporary context or a particular context to work through that myself but we've all been landing all the time i mean yeah and people have been landing on land all the time and land has been landing on land all the time and so there's all these different scales and how can i open up a little journey into that for people without having that bigger context to draw from mm. and then it sort of continued at um those sessions always start with the question like what is your relationship to land which is so epic and so simple at the same time and some people some people take it really literal where do they live or or what they associate even with land some people 
take it very um, large scale and global and yeah, it's super interesting just even that first thing. Some people are surprised that they've never even thought about that question. Mm. Other people are ready to go because <laughs> they're really busy with that. But Yeah, I remember when I did the landing session with you and indeed this was the first question and I think I was one of the people who maybe didn't really think about it but somehow through that process because before this question was placed you also led me through sort of like a relaxation process where I could just you know arrive land in the place and uh, I remember that you asked this question and I think if you had asked me the question in a, or if I had known that this would be the question, I would have been totally overwhelmed thinking, oh, I have no idea <laughs> what my relationship is to land. And when you asked me, suddenly came all these memories from my childhood, how we actually were, we actually had the land and I was working on on the land well, <laughs> with a lot of uh, resentment <laughs> and a lot of resistance, <laughs> which is <has laughs> a whole other story. But, but there was a lot of... Um, working on the land and I suppose for my father it was a, an important thing and I was surprised by how it all so immediately came up uh, after this question and but then also that what happens afterwards is that you kind of lead people through or how I remember it or experienced it you lead people through kind of like an imagination process where we go from image to image and then I can't remember how you did the prompting further but then it just w went into this very interesting imagination process that um, I don't know how it how for me it connected to the starting point but it's certainly like some of the images are still like really vivid in my mind from that session. And yeah, I don't know if, um, um, yeah, like, I don't know if you want, if you have anything to say about how in your experience, the starting with the land connection and this dreaming imagination mm -hmm. work, how it connected for you or how you saw it connecting for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because in a way it is so particular. Each each session is so different and it's so, I want to say individual, but it's actually there's, there's definitely um, themes that, that carry across them and dynamics that I see repeated and there's some really relatable things that actually f bring a lot of coherence or cohesion through this big range. But at the same time, it's really, it is in a way related to dreaming because like there's this belief that the dream is a communication that you are mo best equipped to understand. So it comes, sometimes somebody who you know in your waking life appears in the dream because you already have associations with them and you already know somehow what they're connected to and then they could do something differently in the dream and so it would link to all of those other things so somehow like the language and the form that you are best equipped to read it or something like that. And I think it's something similar happens in the imagery journey 
and for some people also emotions or sensations come up, but I like it. I like it as a continuous, I like it. I mean, I am fascinated by it and um, very curious and very touched to kind of have this secondhand accompaniment of where these images morph and change and that actually all I'm doing is continuing to ask questions that hopefully, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but hopefully they just support where intuition is going or where curiosity is leading and do, I guess, what people do when they edit film, for example, like just raise the brightness on something or zoom into something particular Mm. or, Mm. you know, like refine the film lens so that something becomes clearer or Mm. follow that shot into the next. I mean, I'm not trying to make a film out of it, but, and it's also uncapturable and that's what I like about it. Mm. It's, it only ever, the, the first hand encounter exists in their own imagination and I'll never know what that's like, but I get an experience by being witness to and accompanying their experience and then yeah also i've also then worked with a friend who made images based on my experience of their experience and so in a way it also defi- defies being territorialized or being owned or being put on a wall or you know it's it's um it is immaterial it is ephemeral but it's also a direct lived experience somehow mm. and they form this kind of immaterial archive like i could also open the files of all those sessions and pull them out and have replays. But yeah, there there's, they don't exist in one place and they can't be owned. And I, I enjoy that because (laughs) in the, that's sort of the intention of the whole shift of landing, Mm. moving away from, from territory and ultimately like from a, colonial entrainment around around enclosure and ownership mm, mm. basically well do you want to talk a bit about that as well because <laughs> I, I remember we were talking before about this where you uh, at one point said uh, yeah lawns are colonialist and I thought hmm, yeah there's something to think about there uh, <laughs> and uh, it it you know, it is fairly intimately connected with these sorts of questions, right? That uh, I know that you were, you've been, recently you've spent a fair bit of time in Finland and we were talking b- briefly before about uh, kind of like the Sami population in Finland and uh, how this connects to questions about land and landing. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, is there any starting point <laughs> for you there? <laughs> there so many, yeah, so many. Yeah. Um yeah. Finland in particular is an interesting location to orientate all those questions through. Um Yeah. Because in a way, let's say in what we know as Europe the presence of the Sami in the north across what's known as Norway and Sweden and Finland and Russia. It's kind of the, the easily identifiable um, indigenous population of Europe. But 
at the same time, there's something which um, I don't know if there is a word for. I might be, I might just not know it, but there might be not exactly a term for something that's in between, that's not a recognized indigeneity, but is a deep rootedness and a deep long-term familiarity with a particular landscape and its inhabitants and its uh, native and endemic flora and fauna and its cycles and its seasons. And mm. um, yeah, there is, I know that there are people trying to somehow find or, or refine uh, that connection uh, for example, like speaking about the Finns or Finugraic populations beyond the very short, relatively short nation state of Finland, for example, like the mm. Finnish people identified as those like, citizens of the nation state is a very recent, I mean, it's a hundred something years old and it was fought for and it was important for various reasons and it's not to diminish those and also contemporary uh the contemporary battles for that continuing in the world for recognition and rights and um protection that the nation state offers mm -hmm. but then there's also lineages pre and beyond those formations mm. um yeah and it's some it's a place i am not from or of but i do feel very close to and learn a lot from being there and spending time there and and yeah i mean i think of in terms of somehow this thing of reading keeps coming back like the literacy that i've encountered it happens to be that i've encountered it there it definitely doesn't only exist there but like a certain kind of literacy of like i think of uh, my friend Alm, who's a forester, who can look at different shapes of clouds and and actually say when certain type of storm might be coming, mm. and who comes from a long lineage of foresters in that particular little region of southwest Finland, that there's some kind of really embodied literacy that's then it translates into into actions and responsibilities and accountabilities for how to live mm -hmm. that I find really, I just find it inspiring and something that I think is possible for, that, for us to develop. Mm. And it's not to diminish those knowledges being passed down through certain traditions and the respect for certain traditions having access and that it's not about that being available for anybody in any way. But I I am curious in terms of landing being kind of like a grounds for me to continue figuring out how to live where I am well, that building those literacy skills and and that implicating certain ways of being, mm. I find that deeply creative and dialogical and relational and and also very grounding and tangible at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of... Um Manchon Magan, this Irish uh, 
writer uh, who was uh, he he wrote a, I mean he's written a lot of different stuff but one one of the things that he did was a, a small book which was of words that were somehow related to the sea uh, that were words that would exist in Irish for something like I don't know the way that the surface of the sea looks like when the wind is blowing from the west that there would be this particular idea that would have a word to describe it where of course these words themselves were uh, you know uh, difficult to to track down and and dig up but there are people who still know them mm. um, yeah it was an interesting thing yeah. to try to get my head around yeah yeah I think I read actually a, a short essay by this author oh, okay. and I somehow ended up there through Robert McFarlane who is a I think he's British um, who has been doing that in English like uh, oh, okay. I have a, a book called Lost Words by him and it's also a lot of this like lost words in the English language for certain phenomena mm. that is really particular uh, for certain places and landscapes. Just as we're talking about this combination of deterritorializing or attempting to, and at the same time, like honing somehow, like honing the specificity of a certain word that would mean wind blowing from the west on the sea mm. whereas i don't know i'm sure there's a whole range of words around that that would be different related but slightly altered phenomena um and the fact that i attribute learning all of this to the garden or a garden or gardening which in a way like seems like it could contradict because how do you distinguish a garden from the forest or a particular area of a garden from the rest of the land that it inhabits. And I, it's actually kind of a flip, constant flipping or a swimming in and out conundrum that I feel in general as a creative problem, like as a generative contradiction of how working in a certain sphere with a certain area or, or like a... Um, like uh, the life that exists in a certain area mm. constituting a garden and that there would be some sense of edges to that and some sense of a different landscape beyond those edges of course there's the extreme version of fences and borders and mm. demarcating those lines but in a more fluid sense uh, like soft edges for a garden actually really does also help in terms of having a sphere or a certain scope to s be circulating my attention through. But it doesn't necessarily mean that what is beyond those edges doesn't impact and affect what happens inside those edges. Like it's not that there's, there's, of course, a need and a use for containers and containment. Like, we are brewed in containers, literally, you know. <laughs> I don't mean jars. <laughs> I guess some people are, but I mean, like, it's not, like, about 
border, border boundarylessness entirely. Yeah. As the solution to colonialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're into the the <laughs> tyranny of structurelessness, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. and like formlessness, and that's garden, amazing. <laughs> garden as paradox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it is. I think it is because it's somehow. It's like also even you see it in a single plant that the plants sort of point in and point out at the same time. They are specific. This one has broad umbrella of white flowers. This one has five petals of yellow flowers. They are really specific iter like iterations of plant, but they also always point back out to indicate what's going on around them. Like, color changes for amount of moisture available or air circulation in the soil or other beings that are in dialogue with their life the amount of sun the you know the amount of rain like they are indicators for everything outside of them while also being specific entities mm. and i think of gardens in the same way and i think of land also in the same in a similar conundrum mm that there is there is difference and it's not about excluding those differences when trying to um relearn what i've what i've been trained to think of as separation mm. that those differences mean separation like those differences are contained in every Like a garden is full of multiplicity. Mm. A land is full of multiplicity. I mean, we are also full of multiplicity. Yeah, I was just thinking of it that that somehow does that make any sense? Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have seen a garden that you're currently. Um, in Landing connection within. with, <laughs> uh, which is uh, its own paradox, I guess. Um, which one? A garden full of pine ah, trees, yeah. okay, that one. which doesn't really allow for a very fruitful soil. And at the same time, you're trying to um, cultivate uh, edible plants there. And uh, it's also very striking. Uh, so that's 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 one aspect. And then at the same time, of course, all the pine trees are there, and the ground is covered with the pine leaves and with the cones. And there's no lawn, uh, lawn. Uh, in comparison or, or in contrast to the neighbor who has like an empty garden, no trees at all, and this pristine lawn, clearly having made a very different choice to what you did. And um, I suppose my question is, like clearly you made a choice of not try uh, of trying not to interfere with what's there as much as possible so you're leaving the trees and the and the plants that were that were there to to be and at the same time you're also trying to go against that uh, un 
um, cultivatable soil and trying to make it possible to grow plants there. And uh, so I'm kind of curious about what, how you find the balance and what you think of that balance, like how much can you impose on the land while also trying to maintain it as it is, but then what does it mean to also cultivate things, um, which is kind of a, like a human-made interference in what's otherwise there naturally. But then, of course, it also has a lot of value of growing your own vegetables and food. And so, yeah, like, mm. where, where's the balance or how do you find that balance? Yeah, that's very good and a live question for me at the moment. And it's been a challenge, I have to say, wrestling with that question. Um, just over the few years that I've been, yeah, living with also and, and working with that particular, that particular soil. Mm. Yeah, on the one hand, I am I am aware that uh attempting to change or transform the consistency of the soil is a really bold move it's literally changing the grounds of existence in a very small limited scale it's and yeah i know that the extreme dose version of that is like this ridiculous human audacity to alter things at the same time, in permaculture, they say like everything gardens, that um, everything is, life is trying to live. Life wants to live. And living might also look, in if you're a plant, like uh, the weather changing suddenly and then very quickly sending your flowers up and then those flowers turning to fruit or seed and dropping. So living might actually look like decomposing quicker so that there's more of a chance for the seeds to sit in the soil and, and return the next growing season. So how, how life wanting to live looks like might be uh, varied, but everything is, let's say in the plant world, all the entities are using their particular skills and resources available to live and some of those livings coincide well with each other or like are in potential allyship with each other and some of them are contradictory. And we also don't have good frameworks for all the different ways that that looks like. I mean, mm, this author, Robert McFarlane, uh, and another uh, mycologist, mushroom guy, have have this text where they're talking about the forest and... And how we either have like a socialist version where the trees are all kind and sharing resources and everybody gets fair share sort of thing, or this capitalist version of competition and one life battling the other. And those are, of course, like limited social economical models that we impose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, it, and I know it's so much more complex and dynamic than that. But it's been interesting in this place where the pines are dominant 
but at the same time, they're best equipped to thrive there. They are experts in their own field. Ha <laughs> ha, literally. <laughs> we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> um, and so the impact that I can make is actually pretty small in comparison with the impact they make, you know. I'm pretty tame next to them. Mm, and so I've... They're, they're tolerating you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, to a certain extent. <laughs> and then they're also like, you foolish child. <laughs> We actually have been at this much longer than you. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I've seen in the small limited areas that I've worked on, in the growing beds, I've seen some changes in the soil, but they're so small in comparison to the totalness of of yeah of the ground that the pine thrives in and that certain other beings can live in as well but it's oddly enough it's made me take steps sometimes trying every strategy trying other things nettle tea and horse manure and any other potential um like soil regenerating resources that are uh, like organically available and other times it's just made me leave and go out to the field to the meadow and wild harvest the wild medicinal plants that are growing there and just say okay fine okay <laughs> you win this <laughs> <Fine>. round <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'll get what i need in another form over there and the abundant yeah wild wild herbs that are also growing out here somehow and i'll this year my garden will be the medicine cabinet you know mm -hmm. that i make and not not the kale and zucchini and pumpkin that don't grow <laughs> <laughs> i do remember uh kind of also trying to think about the idea of uh, a garden as an expanded idea um and how when you use this word you kind of use it differently to how most people <laughs> might think of it um so you had been doing these these workshops with the title garden as studio where ultimately the word garden was uh, like i suppose in some sense more metaphorical than anything else although it was actually in an actual garden right <laughs> that everything was happening Um, but it was really this idea of saying, okay, so a garden can be, uh, you know, the width of a continent, um, but it is also kind of, uh, uh, yeah, the width of a windowsill. Definitely. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> If nothing else, I suppose this is just the kind of frame of reference that we have to kind of keep in mind when you're talking about these ideas, right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I guess I don't even realize it anymore <laughs> <laughs> on some level. But for sure, I mean, Garden as Studio as a framework or as a sort of also a platform for inviting um, this question as an artistic research or as a research in general was also, um, at least in that context, it was also kind of a redistribution of what spaces are creative spaces and why do we distinguish between where creative process or creative interaction happens mm. in 
the studio in the dance studio or in the atelier and then you walk out of there and it's somehow you leave it there or you go about your life in the big bad world and then you come in and out of these spaces but actually originally yeah one motivation i could say was to actually point to all that creative interaction and negotiation and um this huge collective of an yeah unruly choir of different life forms that are engaging in creative process by living and dying and growing and and existing together <laughs> um yeah in a communal or let's say like come yeah in in inside of also human community human mm. different mm. different human communities um so yeah. i guess like that's yeah that's one thing that the garden is a, a space where i get to be in in collaboration with different creative forces mm. of various scales as well and also a garden as a as a learning environment as a school and as not as something it was also an attempt to move from this goal oriented produce production model that we see both in the art world and in food mm. i mean and in life out in the capitalist world here <laughs> and to try to apply that sort of processual process-based um orientation also to all the things that are happening in the garden including just standing in the garden being part of gardening mm. and that the gardener's role is not like this ultimate production manager you know um it's like it's it's a certain responsibility and and commitment yeah yeah it seemed in a way like it was uh that when you you know when you read about or see these kinds of uh performance art uh you know occurrences that are attempting in some way to only exist as a process or something like this that um what you were doing was in a sense taking that idea and running with it and really running <laughs> um but in another sense it was kind of like a I don't know if transcendence is too too grand a word to use about it, but like attempting to transcend this idea and say, yeah, but you know, this can also just be a very simple uh, process. We don't necessarily need to kind of, yeah, I don't know, think of it as a transcended performance or anything like that. It's just a, yeah, it's a landing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and in a way, I guess like your question earlier about the more challenging setting for that that i've been in and with the last years it it i'd say it's still humbling me and teaching me to figure out okay how do i still include myself and my needs in this if i'm if i'm showing up and trying to facilitate the needs of all that other life that wants to live we are also life that wants to live. We are not like there. It's, it's not an option to discard that entirely. It's also not an option to constantly 
prioritize the needs of the human at any expense. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, how do I, how do I enter into that negotiation? Because yeah, I mean, we need to eat. We could, we do need to shit also and our shit could go back a bit more than it tends to do (laughs) in these water toilet societies. But you know, yeah, like how can we, how can I and how can we maybe learn to include ourselves in an appropriate degree so that all the needs can actually start to feed and nourish each other? And that's, I guess, where the regenerative, regenerative uh, framework kind of like also tries to push notion of sustainability, like keeping something up, keeping something going, keeping, mm. maintaining or... um like upkeep kind of kind of uh, operations into how do we link things together so that they actually serve and nourish each other, including us and including in the city, for example, like how would, what, how would it be to move through the city as a garden? What if the city is a garden of gardens, you know, like mm-hmm. what if each neighborhood is itself a garden within many, gar- has many gardens within it and all of that. So it helps me to play that, perception game because it makes different tangible decisions mm. available you know mm. and then it's, an, in, it's also an improvisation also in the garden nothing is assured <laughs> <laughs> any action you take all well informed and well intentioned might totally be subverted by something <laughs> like a slug <laughs> <laughs> Another living that wants to live. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to invite you into a little imaginary game, although maybe it's something that you already imagined a lot of times and you just need to recall it. But I would be curious to hear um, what would be your dream garden like? Oh. <laughs> Whether that's, yeah whether that's concrete things or more like abstract concepts mm. or where would it be or yeah do you want to launch on that or mm-hmm. should I first uh, make you lay down and ask you what's your connection <laughs> yeah. to land and uh, <laughs> yeah, turn it back on you <laughs> I guess that's that's the actually an imaginary game I play regularly (laughs) i imagine indeed i mean mm, i suppose one other garden that i'm also currently engaged with is in a way like a micro testing ground or experimental ground for what I would like to cultivate over a longer time. Um, And we, with some collaborators, call it the social body apothecary garden. And so it's working with a certain space, um, which at one point used to be a garden school and is now turning into kind of a community center art yeah, for artists, especially with migration backgrounds um, and local community to meet in this garden space. 
and we're working with it as a kind of body and mapping different organ centers of the garden um, with different kind of sculptural architectural um, locators or like different um, shelters in a way to to connect with those different organ qualities and then the medicinal plants that are allied with those organs and then the nervous system and nervous uh, system supporting plants interweaving those and it's been a really interesting process to attend to that particular place through this lens because I think that's what I'm I would be really curious about I'd be really curious somehow of to have this expanded roving roaming garden of gardens in a particular land where there could be these different niches and nooks and um, areas that offer different, different particular ways of being and connecting. Um, and this, yeah, also mapping a kind of a body of the garden also helps to destabilize the norms of how I think about my body or a functional body or a healthy, able body or a normative notion of, of body because body is not one thing and garden is not one thing. And so I guess that would be my curiosity to keep growing that and have a longer time span to develop something like that where it could be also a space for different healing encounters and that, I mean, that could become a bedroom or a kitchen or a studio or a um, praxis or all these different niches and nooks can also be um, infrastructure or architecture and functional or temporary um, or just, yeah, that there, w there could be the possibility to roam around and, and somehow have the garden DJ or, your attention and your experience you know so that it highlights this element or that element but that it's still a whole entity at the same time wow garden is dj that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely So that was our talk with Shelley Etkin. If you're curious to get more details about anything we talked about, all the links are on the website at repatterning.xyz. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.